Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be, Mark chapter 4. Uh, a few days ago, I got to have lunch with, with Mr. Gene Williams. And it was a good time, and we started talking about his garden. And we talked about how many times he's rode up in that garden and planted in that garden and produced fruit in that garden and shared food with everybody in that garden, because I'm sure most of you in this room have eaten something out of his garden. And so I began to think about that garden, and I thought about my Uncle James. Now, way back in the day when I was a kid, I used to love going over and working for my Aunt Nancy and my Uncle James, and probably one of my favorite things was when Uncle James was planting in his garden. I used to love to, to walk with my Uncle James, and he had those big old shoes, and I would try to put my, my shoe print in his shoe print, and he taught me a lot of things in this life, and I remember way back in the day, he, he taught me how to plant a garden. I remember he had these pouches that he would tie around his waist, and he had a pouch for me, and it had different kind of pockets in these pouches, and you could put different kind of seeds, and I just remember watching my Uncle James plant that garden, and he would do it so so easily. Uh, he would make it look like, like it was just so easy, and I would try to do it, but I couldn't do it like my Uncle James. And he would always say, don't worry about it, son. He said, just throw those seeds. And I would say, okay, Uncle James, and I'd throw those seeds. And I always worried, right? I always worried that I was wasting. And Uncle James would say, hey, boy, don't worry about the cost of them seeds. Just worry about doing what I tell you to do. I said, okay, Uncle James. So, man, I would just throw those seeds and scatter those seeds. And I loved watching him because he would come back behind me and he would cover up, you know, those seeds with the dirt. He just, he knew how to do it. And uh, many times he did it, you know, with his hands, with, with a garden rake or a garden hoe. And every now and then he'd take his tractor and do it. But it was a beautiful time. And, and I have so many good memories of working in that garden with my Uncle James. Well, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And as you know, Jesus, he, he taught many, many times with parables. And parables are incredible. A uh, parable, uh, what it is, it's a story that Jesus tells using earthly objects and everyday earthly activities to illustrate or to convey spiritual truths about God's Word, about God's kingdom. And so that's what a parable is. And Jesus, many, many times, would teach with parables. Also, a parable would always convey one main point. Now, every now and then you can take one or two of the parables that Jesus shared and you would have multiple points. But for the most part, when Jesus shared a parable, he was trying to make one point. And I believe that's because that's all we can handle, if you want to be honest. <laughs> that's because that's all we can handle. I love Dr. Henry Halley. Listen to what he says about the parable. He says, understanding the meaning of a parable requires a receptive heart rather than a logical mind, which is why the parables obscured Jesus' message for those whose hearts were hardened. Now, that's incredible, right? Because as you read the parables, you'll notice that there are some people that go, aha, I get it, right? And it's not aha with their mind, it's aha with their heart, right? But then there are those who are going, what did he just say? Hey, what do you mean by that? Well, what are you talking about? And it's because they're trying to filter it through their mind rather than through their heart. And so that's what we see 
when we see the parables, and this is one of the first parables that we encounter in the Gospel of Mark, and so we're going to encounter many more parables, and so I just want you to know what a parable is and what it does and what it can do for you and for me when it comes to God's kingdom. And just remember, it's not about getting it with your mind, it's about getting it with your heart. Don't forget that. So let's look at Mark chapter 4, because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is going to talk about that garden, that garden that I used to walk in with Uncle James, that garden that Mr. Gene is so good at. Look at what he says in Mark chapter 4, beginning verse 1. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell upon the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now everyone that day listening to Jesus' voice, they understood the agricultural terminology he was using. Uh, This was a culture that was built on agriculture. This was a culture built on plowing the ground and planting seed and bearing fruit. And this method of scattering the seed was commonplace. Uh, This method of sowing was used because a farmer could quickly cover a lot of ground planting, taking advantage of all of his soil. And so Jesus, he shows us a few things in these first few words of verses 1 through 9. Number one, what he shows us is that the sower, the sower represents Jesus and his believers. Listen, if you'll remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In Mark chapter 1 verse 38, Jesus said, let's go to the nearby villages. Why? So I can preach there. That is why I have come. Listen, Jesus said the reason I have come is so that I can preach. And what does he want to preach? He wants to preach the good news. What is the good news? Even though you are lost, even though your sin has separated you from God, you can repent from your sin and you can believe in God's love demonstrated through his son. You can believe. You can receive the good news. So Jesus said, that's why I've come. I've come to preach In Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, listen to what Mark says. He says, He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So we know already in Mark's gospel that Jesus came with a message to sow. And not only that, we know that Jesus came calling others to himself. 
those who would believe in him and he would equip them and enable them to go out and do what? Sow. And so we see that in this passage, the sower represents Jesus and his believers. Sowing the seed. Well, what is the seed? Well, the seed represents God's word. That's what the seed is. It's God's word. Jesus preached a message of repentance and belief in the good news. What was the good news? Well, I like the way John says it in his gospel. What does John say in verse, or chapter 3, verse 16? What does he say? For God, you don't know John 3, 16? Come on now, you know I like participation. What does he say? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Who did he give? His only son that whoever what? Believes should not perish but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. Listen, that's the good news. The good news is that God so loves you. He don't just a little bit love you. He so loves you. How much does he love you? That he would give, right? He's a giver. That's who God is. He would give his one and only son that all you got to do is what? Believe. And it says whoever, right? That's pretty generous. That's pretty wide reaching. It says whoever would believe would not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. I love the way Paul says it. You probably heard it in my prayer this morning. I pray it a lot. I love what Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we, right, were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. Let me tell you something. That's the good news. That's the good news that Jesus is. That's the good news that Jesus preaches. And that's the good news that you and I have the opportunity to receive and then preach as well. So the sower is Jesus, and it's all of his believers. The seed is God's word. Now, I want to mention something about this parable. Nowhere in this parable do we see a wrong method of sowing. Do you see that? Does it say, don't do this or don't do that? No. It says what? Scatter the seed. So there's no, there's no wrong method of sowing here. It isn't about the skill of the sower. You know how many people say, well, I just can't preach like Brother Jeff or I can't teach like my Sunday school teacher, so I can't do it. Let me just tell you something. If you got seed in your pouch, all you got to do is reach in and throw it. My Uncle James taught me that. Don't you worry about where it falls. You get a lot of it out and you throw it. And let it fall where it may. It's not about the skill of the sower. I'm going to tell you something else. It's not about the power of the seed either. Because the seed is powerful, right? It's powerful. The seed is perfect. It's perfect. And so it's not about the skill of the sower, right? You, you don't reach in and go, oh, do I have some bad seed? Let me tell you something. If you got the seed that is the Word of God, you got power and you got truth and you got life and you got light. There ain't nothing wrong with the seed you got. So what is it about? What does Jesus focus on? In this passage, he focuses on the ground. He focuses on the soil. Listen, the soil represents the condition of the heart. That's what it's all about. Remember what Dr. Halley said? You don't understand a parable with the logic of your mind. It's about receiving it what? With your heart. 
And so the soil, the ground in this parable represents the condition of the heart. And as you can see, there are four, four types of soil in this parable. Now, I'm not going to go over those four types right now because Jesus is going to explain it a little bit better as he talks to his disciples and others. But I do want you to notice something else. What does, what's the very first word of verse 3? Listen. Do you see that? Now, in my Bible, it says listen with an exclamation point. That means Jesus wants your attention. Right? He wants your attention. He doesn't want you to carelessly come to Him. He wants you to come to Him with intent and purpose because He's got intent and purpose with what He's saying. So He says, listen. What does verse 9 end with? It says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So let's look at verses 10 through 12. If the very first word of his parable is listen, and the last words of his parable is, whoever's got ears to hear, let them hear. Watch what he says in verse 10. When he was alone, so after he said this, the crowds kind of dispersed. It says, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him. That means there were some people that stuck around. When everybody else scattered... There were some that clung to Jesus. They stayed close to Jesus. It says, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was a kid and I read this passage, I was confused. I I was confused. I didn't get it. I'm like, wait, why would Jesus say, right, that that people would be confused and not be able to understand? Why why would he say that? That just confused me as a kid. But here's what I understand now through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the context of His Word. Those who wanted the truth already had it. And I'm going to tell you something. They would receive it even more abundantly. That's what Jesus says. Listen, the disciples and the others, the ones who stuck around, they wanted truth. And they wanted more of the truth. That that word here, back in verse 9, I want you to look at it. When he says here in verse 9, it's actually the Greek word and it is an imperfect tense. Now you say, Brother Jeff, what do you mean an imperfect tense? That means the action, the action is continuous. It's continuous. It's not a one and done thing. It's something that keeps on doing. So when he says here, he says keep on hearing. And so these are the ones who hear and continue to hear. They trust Jesus. They trust His Word to them. He talks about the secret of the kingdom. Did you see that? Some versions say the mystery of the kingdom. Well, let me just tell you something. The secret, the mystery of the kingdom was truth that was given to them in the Old Testament. That's what he quoted, by the way. He quoted Scripture from Isaiah. It's truth that was given to them in the Old Testament, but it was now being revealed to them through the life of Jesus Christ and through the word spoken by 
Jesus Christ. He is the Word become flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so these individuals, they were the ones who wanted Jesus and they wanted more of His Word. They weren't just miracle chasers. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if you'll notice already in Mark, all the way up through chapter 4, what we find is we got a lot of miracle chasers. We got a lot of people who want Jesus to heal their hand or heal their knees or heal their ailment. And as long as he heals them, I'm good. But is that how Jesus operates? Is that how he works? No, because what we see is that when Jesus heals, it's always to get to what? The spiritual. Jesus is more concerned about your heart than he is your cancer. You're going, well, wait, wait, what? You better hear me close. Jesus is a lot more concerned about your heart than he is your cancer. See, your cancer can kill your body on this earth, right? But it's your heart that matters the most. Because if you've opened your heart and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you'll have eternal life. But if you reject Jesus Christ, if your heart is hardened, it stays hardened, right? Then you will experience death eternally. And so Jesus is more concerned about your heart than he is your cancer or your broken bone or your physical ailment. Does it mean he does not have compassion on those who have cancer or those who are sick or those who are hurting? Absolutely not. We see Jesus heal people physically all the time. We've seen it in the Bible. We've seen it in real life. How many of you in this place today can can lift your hand and say, God has healed me, right, of a physical ailment, of a physical disease? There's a lot of people here who can do that. But don't ever forget this. Jesus came to save your soul. That's what he came to do. That's why he says, repent and believe the good news. That's the message he preaches. And so we had a lot of miracle chasers in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, I believe we got a lot of miracle chasers today too. Jesus, if you'll just get me out of this job predicament, Oh, Jesus, if you'll just get me out of this physical predicament. Oh, Jesus, if you'll just get me out of this financial predicament. And then we get out of it, and guess what? We just go on our separate way, and we ain't got nothing to do with God. We ain't got nothing to do with His Word. We ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. A lot of miracle chasers. So what does Jesus say about those? What does He say about those who want to get it with their mind, but at They got their hearts all closed up. Well, I'll tell you what he says. He says, those who reject truth, even what they have, will be taken from them. That's what he says. See, that secret, that mystery that was being revealed in Christ, it was concealed from those who rejected Christ. If they reject Christ, then they can't see him clearly. Then they can't hear him clearly. And what Jesus says is, even what you do have, it's going to be taken If these religious leaders and these, what I call, fringe followers were confused now, they're going to be confused even more moving forward. You say, Brother Jeff, how can you say that? I can say that because I look at Matthew's parallel account. See, Matthew tells this same parable. Listen to what Matthew says in chapter 13, verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have it in abundance. Whoever does not have... Even what they do have will be taken from them. So let me just tell you something. That ain't Brother Jeff. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's what he says. Jesus is quoting Scripture. 
Jesus, who is Scripture, is quoting Scripture. Think about that for just a minute. (laughs) He quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. You see, what happened was these unbelievers, they had already made a choice to reject Jesus. They had already made a choice to reject Jesus, and in rejecting Jesus, they rejected the message, which is why they couldn't understand the parable. And because they couldn't understand the parable, guess what they did? Oh, well, and they walked off. But there were those who believed Jesus, who embraced Jesus, and they wanted more understanding. They wanted more truth. And so they stuck around. And here's what happens. Look at verse 13. It says, Then Jesus said to them, So these are the ones who wanted truth. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So when he told the parable, instead of the word Satan, what did he use? He used the word birds. You remember that? Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. So in the first time he said it, in the parable, it was because the sun came out and did what? Dried up because they didn't have a root. But here, what does he say? It's not the sun. It is trouble and persecution that comes. Why? Because of the word. Then it goes on. It says this in verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life. So now it's not about The thorns and the weeds, what are the thorns and the weeds? Here it is, verse 19. But the worries of this life. People ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, can my worries be or become sin? What does verse 19 say? It says the worries of this life. And it it lists it with this, the deceitfulness of wealth. And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it what? Unfruitful. Let me ask you a question. Is it God's will for your life that you be unfruitful? No. You better answer that real fast. No, it is not. God didn't create you to sit down and sour. God didn't create you to sit down at all. God created you in His image, and He breathed life into your body so that you could be an image bearer. So that you could go out into the world and subdue it. Have authority in it and over it. God created you and me to be fruitful, not unfruitful. But that's what the worries of this life will do. That's what the deceitfulness of wealth will do. That's what the desire for other things rather than God and the Word of God will do. It'll make you unfruitful. But then he gives us verse 20, right? Verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the Word and look at this. Accept it, right? Receive it and produce a crop 
some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. I read that, and in my mind, I'm going, what? Okay, because I know like when my Uncle James would have me plant a seed of corn in the ground, I would see one corn stalk come up, and I would see, you know, there's some farmers in here would say, hey, if you have a good corn crop, generally you have, what, three, maybe four, you know, shucks of corn on that stalk? Okay, I get it, threefold, fourfold per seed. But the Bible says right here, that some produce 30-fold, some produce 60-fold, some produce 100-fold of what was sown. Again, let me just tell you something. There ain't nothing wrong with a seed. The seed is powerful. And the seed can do more than you can imagine. So let's talk about the path, right? The path that Jesus talks about in this passage represents the hardened heart. The hardened heart. So when I was with my Uncle James and he told me to scatter that seed, his goal was that I would get it on the road, right? But he also knew that it would take me all day long, right, if I walked real slow and just dropped one at a time. My Uncle James said, we ain't got that much time, boy, and I ain't got that much money to pay you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to grab a handful of that seed and you're going to walk the same way I walk. And my Uncle James said, he could walk through that field. Man, just dropping them seeds. And you know what I was always afraid of? What if it falls in, in, the, in the valley of the rose, right? Where the ground is hard, where I'm stepping, right? Well, that's the path. The path represents a hardened heart. The path was beaten down by feet. It was beaten down by carts. It represents the busyness of life. I love this. Pastor R. Kent Hughes says this in his commentary. The people beat the asphalt-like ground of their own lives with their feet. They're always on the go, and they have no time to contemplate or think about God or the spiritual things He has for them. They may be even hostile toward the world, but very often they simply are uninterested in it. They harden their hearts toward God and toward His Word. In the ancient times, what would happen is the birds would come along. When they saw the farmer out in the field with the seed, the birds were right there. You know that? They were right there. They were ready. You want to know why? It's time to eat. It's time to gather some stuff and take it back to the little birdies in the nest. And and so when they saw the farmer out in the field, the birds came hovering. And they were ready not to take the seed out of the field, but to take the seed from where? The path, because they knew it wasn't going anywhere. And so they would come and take it quickly, and it would have no chance to bear fruit. What does Jesus say about those birds? He says, no, they're not birds, it's Satan. It's Satan who comes and takes it away quickly. So that that heart will remain hardened and never receive the Word of God. Then he talks about the rocky place. The rocky place represents the shallow heart. So so the rocky places during these ancient times, it would have actually been like a limestone type rock or some other type rock that was actually hidden beneath the soil. So what they would do is they would take their animals and they would plow up the field. And the reason they would plow up the field is to get those rocks out of the soil. But, but those blades and those, utens- those uh, utensils, so to speak, those, those tools would not get deep sometimes, deep enough, and there would be rock hidden underneath the soil. 
And so that's the rocky place. It, it represents the shallow heart. Um, as Dr. David Jeremiah says, these hearers seem to take in the word, but their commitment, don't you love that word? Commitment. It says these hearers seem to take in the word, but their commitment to the gospel disappears with any resistance. They are superficial believers at best. That's how Dr. David Jeremiah explains this. So the plant would rise up from the ground very quickly. And because it had no root system, guess what would happen? It would die just as quickly. So it looks promising, but as soon as the sun hits it, as soon as any worry, as soon as any desire for something else comes along, what happens to the plant? It dies. It bears no fruit. Then you've got the thorny ground. All right? This is the third type of soil or ground. The thorny ground, it represents the divided heart. Again, in the ancient culture, farmers, they would work feverishly to remove weeds from the ground. I remember when I was working on the farm with my cousin Mike, uh, I loved working on the farm with him. Again, he was kind of like my Uncle James, taught me a lot about this life uh, through the farm. But I remember for a long time, uh, we planted cotton. You know, now it's, it's a lot of corn and a lot less cotton. Well, it used to be the other way around. It was a lot of cotton and not very much corn. Well, I remember we would plant that cotton, and it would look so good a couple of weeks after, right? You see those little green plants pop up out of the ground, and the soil is pretty, and the sun and the rain, it's just looking so good. And then they get a little bit bigger, but there's something else, right? Something's happening. Because there's something else growing faster than the cotton, Right? Whatever weeds you want to name, right? Johnson grass, cuckaburls, right? Those things. Oh, man, did you ever have to go out in the field and pull those up? Yeah, you better have some gloves with you because those things will tear your hands up. It was amazing how fast the weeds would grow. And guess what the weeds would do? The weeds would grow up higher and thicker, right? And so once the field was plowed, and it was cleared, and the seed was scattered, they would grow, but the thorny ground would produce weeds and thorns, and they would grow up so quick. And Jesus tells us that those weeds and those thorns are the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires, right, of this world. And what those things do is they divide the heart. They divide the heart, a heart that is being pulled and twisted and turned in every other direction. Do you remember David in the psalm, one of, his, one of his, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful prayers he ever prayed? Do you remember what David prayed? He said, oh God, give me what? An, say it out, say it out loud. An undivided heart. That's what David prayed. Oh God, give me an undivided heart. Why? Because he found himself, Right? in a place where he was being twisted and torn, and it wasn't anybody's fault but his own. It was his own fault. And so he went to God, God, give me an undivided heart. You see, the undivided heart, there's no room for spiritual development. There's no room for spiritual growth. You know what happens with an undivided heart? It cannot and it will not produce fruit. It'll only produce more Weeds, more thorns. That's all it'll do. It chokes out the seed. 
But then we get to this other type of ground. It's called the good soil. The good soil, what does it represent? It represents the receptive heart. On this ground, the seed does not bounce off the beaten path. It's not quickly taken up by the birds. It does not germinate in the shallow place or in the rocky place. It does not grow alongside and underneath all the weeds and the thorns. Rather, this seed hits the ground and it is, it accepts the seed. It absorbs the seed. And the word here again, that word when it says accepts it, or receives it according to what version you have. The Greek word, again, is in the imperfect tense. So do you know what that means? That means it keeps on accepting it. It keeps on receiving it, right? It, it, it's a continuous action. And so it is demonstrated how. How do you know that a seed is accepting, right? It's being accepted by the soil. I'll tell you how. It keeps on growing and it keeps on producing. It keeps on growing, and it keeps on producing. And Jesus said, the seed that falls on the good soil will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, maybe even 100-fold. That's what Jesus says. So you're saying, Brother Jeff, in this parable, what is Jesus saying to us? What is Jesus saying to us? Because remember, he used the parable while everybody was there listening. You remember at the beginning? It said he went out on the lake. Why did he go out on the lake? Because there were so many people there. He had to distance himself and he used the land and the layout so that everybody could do what? Hear him. And what did he, very, what did he say at the very beginning? Listen. And then he gave the parable and he said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Who was he talking to? He was talking to those who believed him. He was talking to those who believed his message. And so guess what happens? The crowd scatters. The crowd goes. Because Jesus is not on the shore now. He's not putting his hand on people and healing people. He's just preaching. So guess what happens? Not a lot of excitement, huh? Guess what happens to those people who came for excitement and there's not a lot of excitement? We'll go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere else and get some excitement. So many people leave, but then there's the disciples, and then there are the others. I wish I, I wish I knew what that meant, right? I wish there was more explanation of who the others are, but here's what I know. They're ones who believe Jesus, and they wanted to hear more of what Jesus had to say. They weren't there simply for the excitement or the thrill of a miracle. They wanted the miracle worker to preach. That's what they wanted. And so what does this passage mean for those who are hearers, those who are believers, those who want the truth and more of it, who want it abundantly. Well, I'll tell you, first and foremost, we need to listen to God. How can we listen to God? I'm going to give you Jeff's layman term. Here's how you listen to God. You shut up. Somebody said, say it again, so I will. Here's how you listen to God. You shut up. We spend a lot of time praying and it's us talking to God and then we say amen. It's almost like we're hanging up and we walk out. We need to spend more time praying, right? By listening. Just shut up. It's hard to hear God speak when we're running our mouths. How many mamas and daddies in here, you're trying to talk to your children and you're trying to impart truth to them but they just keep on yapping, right? 
They just keep on yapping. And how many times do you tell them, you might say, be quiet. <laughs> I don't. I say, shut your mouth. I, I just, I'm in the flesh sometimes. I just say, shut up. Because you can't hear what I'm saying if you're going to keep on yapping. And I speak from experience because I used to do that as the kid with my mom and daddy. I have to tell the truth because my mom is here. Here's what we need to do. We need to listen. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word. Do you hear what James just said? Accept the word. Do you remember what Jesus said in his parable? The good soil, right, represents ground that does what to the seed? Accepts it, right? James said, accept the word planted in you. Mm, can't make this up. And what does that word do? It says it will save you. In verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So listening is more than just hearing with your ears, right? It's hearing with your what? Your heart. Because what does Jesus say about your heart? He says everything you say and everything you do flows from your what? Heart. How many people come to church on Sunday and they listen with their ears and that's as far as it goes? That's it. Man, that was a good message. Man, that's a good passage of script. Man, that was a good word. And walk out the door. And guess what? Right back into the worries. Right back into the deceitfulness. Right back into the cares and desires. James says, don't merely listen to the word. What, he, what he's saying is, don't just hear it with your ears. Accept it with your heart because it produces salvation. Do what it says. So we need to listen to the word. That's the first thing. Number two, we need to receive his word to us and for us. Dr. Tony Evans says, the good ground represents hearts that are receptive to God's word. They welcome it, which means they believe it and obey it. And as a result, they produce abundant spiritual fruit that comes from God alone and that glorifies God alone. That's pretty good. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans says it. Oh, you can know. You can know if your heart is the good soil accepting the seed because the seed is so powerful, it's going to produce fruit. Did you hear me earlier? There ain't nothing wrong with the seed. And I'm going to tell you something. There ain't nothing wrong with the sower. That's why my next point is we need to scatter the seed, right? Scatter the seed. Well, I'm not going to share the word with this one or that one because you know they've already made their mind up. Oh, so you know their mind? You know their heart? Listen, I got a hard time knowing my own mind and heart. So how in the world could I ever, right, know somebody else's mind and heart? Is that for me to decide? Is that for you to decide? I'm going to tell you something. You scatter the seed no matter where you are, no matter who you're with. Scatter the seed. That's, the, that's the, what I see. Like the farmer in the parable, we need to scatter the seed generously, and we need to do it freely. Let the seed fall where it may. Why? Because the seed is perfect. The power is in the seed. 
I used to think about that all the time. I, I used to be very prideful and say, how could I study? How could I, you know, how could I sit down and spend so much time and, and, then, and then nothing happens? You ever been there? Right? Sunday school teachers, you ever been there? Right? You, you just pray feverishly. You pray consistently. You study the Word, and it just seems like your class isn't growing, or maybe your class isn't getting it. I'm going to just tell you something. Satan wants you to put your eyes on things that you have no control over. He wants you to do that. You want to know why? Because he wants the worries of this world, right, to choke the seed that is in you. I'm going to tell you what God called me to do. God called me to love him and to love others. That's what God called me to do. God didn't say, Jeff, you seek and save. Nope, somebody else already got that. His name is Jesus. He says it in Luke. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's not Jeff's job. Jesus does that. But you know what Jeff does? Jeff spends time with Jesus. Remember what it said in Mark chapter 3, verse 12? He called the 12 that they might what? Be with him. Jeff spends time with Jesus. Why does he spend time with Jesus? Because Jesus is going to equip him and enable him to do what? To preach and to have authority to drive out demons. We need to scatter the seed and we need to do it generously and freely and let it fall where it may. And don't worry. Don't worry. You know what you ought to do instead of worry? Pray. See, as Christ followers, I believe that's what we should be doing. We should be praying for the hearts of others. You and I can't change anyone's heart, but God can. God can take the heart of stone, right, and replace it with a heart of flesh. If you don't understand, go to Ezekiel. You'll find out. See, I'm not going to give it all to you. Make you work. Yeah, God can change any heart. He can exchange any heart. So what can I do? I can pray. I can pray that God would work powerfully in the lives of others. That God would take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That God would take that heart that's struggling with the cares and the worries and the desires of this world and that the Spirit of God would would stir them in such a way that they would repent of their sin and put their focus on God. So, So you and I, we need to pray that God would change hearts. That God would continue to to enable us and empower us to scatter the seed so that those hearts will have the opportunity to listen, to receive, and to become scatterers too. That's what this passage means to me. I I, I don't know what it means to you. I I pray that the Holy Spirit of God has shown you what it means to you. Because some of you in this room, you might be one of these types of soil, right? One of these three types of soil at the beginning. You might be the path. You might be the rocky place. You might be the thorny ground. I'm going to tell you what, there's hope for you. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Some of you in here, you might be that good soul. You might be accepting that seed, right? It's continuous. You might be accepting that seed, and you might be growing and producing fruit. And here's the thing. Don't look around to see if somebody's got 60-fold and you've only got 30-fold. Because here's the thing. That don't matter. That don't matter. God didn't say look around and see what other people are producing. He said, hey, you produce. You produce. So whether you produce tenfold or thirtyfold or sixtyfold or a hundredfold, you produce because here's the thing. Your produce glorifies God and not you. When you're looking around and you're worried about somebody else's produce, guess who you're trying to glorify? You. Don't fall for that. That's what the enemy wants. So here's the thing. This passage of Scripture, it's got something to say to all of us. 
If we are not yet scatterers of the seed, then we need to repent of our sin and believe and trust Jesus Christ, and we need to become scatterers of the seed. And if we've already trusted in Jesus Christ and we're believers and we're sitting on the sidelines watching, you need to get up and you need to get in the field and you need to start scattering that seed generously. And I'm talking to Jeff Thomas. If I'm talking to you, that's between you and God, but I'm for sure talking to Jeff Thomas because that's the only person that I can talk to. So I pray that this word speaks to you wherever you are and however you are. And if you're not praying for hearts to be changed, if you're not praying for lives to be saved, then what are you doing? And why are you doing? Because that's all Jesus was about. How can I call myself a Christ follower if I'm not about hearts being changed and lives being saved? Spend time with God and listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and see what happens in your house, in your workplace, in your church, in your community.